Hi, this is Michael Soto. And I'm Sam Garman. You're listening to Transform, the podcast where we explore the stories and experiences of folks who are transgender beyond the transition. What did your mom say? What is your real name? How about those drugs that you take? And does your voice change? How come you don't feel ashamed? What kind of love do you make? But you don't care about my answers. Your questions ignore me. Let me tell you a story. All right, so we are really thrilled today to have an opportunity to interview Brianna Westbrook. Uh, so thank you so much for coming into the studio. Um, you have a fantastic and interesting story about what it's like to run, um, especially in a very red state like Arizona, mm-hmm. for political office. And mm-hmm. so we're really interested to hear about a little bit about your journey, how you got there, mm-hmm. um, and then what does it look like to run for office as a trans person. Michael and I have discussed this about this idea about like, that sounds like a lot. So Mm -hmm. we're really interested to hear from you about how you made that decision and, and how that experience was for you. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's a, it's a pleasure to be in the studio and, uh, talk about these important issues. Um, I'm, uh, all, all ears, and I uh, got answers for any question you may have about running for office as a trans person. Um, and I, I look forward to sharing some of my experiences and knowledge that I've gained over the course of the last 14 months on the campaign trail with your listeners. Very cool. wonderful. Right. Yeah. So, if you could start by um, telling us just a little bit about yourself, your pronouns, and then uh, just a little bit of your story. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Um, I am a non-stereotypical political candidate, um, politician, I guess you could say now, since I'm not a candidate for office. Um, I grew up in severe poverty, moved out when I was 15, uh, pretty much been on my own my entire life. I'm a single parent of one, had my daughter at 19, um, shoveled asphalt and replaced railroad ties to pay the bills. Wow. Um, Worked in the automotive industry for the last 13 years um, in sales. Um, that's a very tough career, especially mm-hmm. for a woman and yeah. a trans woman. It's doubly tough. Yeah. Is that a word? Doubly? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is now. <laughs> yeah. uh, transitioned at 26. Um, and uh, yeah, and didn't miss a, a day at work. Uh, showed wow. up every single day during transition and really educated a lot of my coworkers along the way as well in an industry that's pretty male dominated. I bet. Wow. That sounds like that career experience. You know, that's... Uh, just not a field that there are a lot of women in in general let alone trans people so that's wow yeah i uh, i i kid around uh, we all kind of kind of call ourselves unicorns i i really <laughs> do call myself a unicorn in that industry <laughs> definitely um, sure when i uh decided to come out i questioned whether or not to be able to stay in that industry yeah um you know it was one of the things that i kind of had to come to grips with being trans is you really have to be at a point where you're comfortable knowing that you possibly might lose everything that you have Hmm. and uh i didn't think that i would survive in that industry i'm transitioning but i did and it really just made me a better salesperson and uh really 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 excelled once it became my authentic self Hmm. that's awesome fantastic yeah that's wonderful so tell us a little bit about how you sort of, like, what led you to, okay, now is the time I feel like I need to run for political office. Like, you talked a little bit about 
growing up in poverty and some of those experiences. And I wonder if those things pushed you and then sort of what was the thing that kind of gave you the final shove? Well, it's, it's kind of a mixture of a lot of things. Um, I've always kind of had my eye on running for public office, just never thought it could be me. Um, throughout my entire life, you know, I look mm-hmm. back and there's been conversations with family members where I brought up running for office and my family members remind me of that. Um, but I just never thought it was for me uh, because I didn't go to Yale, didn't go to Harvard, not uh, didn't go to some prestigious school. Mm-hmm. The school I went to is the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> um, and uh, but what the, the the perfect storm was um, was the the 2016 presidential elections, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of sitting on the sidelines watching these candidates and who they're selecting. Um, I watched a careful. I watched Trump carefully. Um, I knew that there was. Uh, there was some support behind him and also Bernie Sanders because both of these candidates brought a very populist message yeah. that I think that American people really want, and I think it's really shown that populism is uh, is coming back. Um, and I knew if Donald Trump won, um, we'd be in for a, a, a dark cloud over mm-hmm. the United States. And I uh, knew that when he chose Mike Pence. Um, a dark cloud being over the LGBT community because I yeah, knew a battle definitely. was going to be in front of us. This man was a radical um, and still is a radical. Um, he, uh, he is the epitome of uh, a human being, I guess you could say, um, in my eyes and some of his opinions. But um, after uh, Trump took office, um, you know, I, I started questioning kind of you know what I should do, like how can I fight back. I went to social media because I've always been kind of like a social media warrior had a YouTube channel for years, um, educated people on my transition. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. felt like that wasn't really enough after the first Muslim ban went into effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a coworker, uh, my previous employer, um, from Palestine. Mm-hmm. Um, he went through my transition with me. He's known me for eight years, nine years, um, had a tough time with my transition, but through my process of transitioning to who I am today, it really changed a lot. And we grew a lot closer. Mm-hmm. Um, we crossed paths at the water room at work, and uh, this was when the tr- the Muslim ban was set to go into effect. Um, and uh, I could see the fear in his eyes because what he'd do is he comes out here every single year for a few months, earns money, and goes back home, you know, mm-hmm. for his family. Yeah. Um, he saw maybe that was not going to happen anymore, and he might not possibly be able to come back. Wow. And uh, I looked at him, and we. Um, we both cried, and I, I embraced him. I gave him a hug, and I said, you know, I'm going to fight for you. Um, I will use my voice to fight for you. Don't you worry, Charlie. I will fight for you. Um, acknowledging my white privilege um, yeah. and acknowledging that I, sh- I should do more. Um, and uh, that night I went home and just started scouring races. And, uh, you know, I saw a lot of, you know, state-level races. Then I'm like, then I saw Trent Franks. Mm. And I'm like, this is my opportunity because there hasn't been a Demo- there wasn't a Democratic candidate that ran against him for two election cycles. Yeah. Nobody ran him, ran against him, and I knew I'd face an uphill battle. But I knew jumping in a race against a man who wanted to put a constitutional amendment into ban gay marriage, being mm-hmm. an openly transgender woman, I think that sends a pretty symbolic message to the state state of Arizona and the entire country that everybody can participate in the political process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you're from, or how you identify. Um, you know, this is this is my opportunity to stand up and fight back for the people of Arizona, um, the LGBT community and the trans community. Yeah. Against a man that, like I said, is against us. 
Absolutely. Um, you ran as a, a justice Democrat, so you ran as someone who, not just in who you are, but also in your platform, uh-huh. really distinguished yourself from Franks um, and even from sort of more centrist Democrats. Um, can you talk about that choice and what that was like for you, that experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a proud justice Democrat. Um, I talk with my justice Democrat brothers and sisters who were endorsed this, this first cycle of their um, their organization, and I think really think we're going to it's going to be a, a family for years to come, and mm-hmm. I'm eager to see where we all go. Um, but I, uh, the Justice Democrat platform is a platform that I think really resonates with all American people, and it's a platform that really um, I think we need as um, leaders in every political office. Um, you know, it's a platform that puts the interests of the American people first. You know, it's refusing corporate PAC money. Um, because I think the influence of money in politics is really what's corrupted our society. And it's really what's created this dysfunction we have in Washington, D.C. and our state capitals throughout the United States. Yeah. Um, you know, policies that are on the Justice Democrat platform is abolishing the private prison industry um, right. that is shown to be marginalizing our black and brown brothers and sisters. Um, you know, Medicare for all, because health care is a human right. You know, we pay the most out of every um, country for our health care and get the least amount of services in return. Um, it's a for-profit industry, and it's not about taking care of people. Um, and fighting for a living wage. You know, some of the latest polls showed that millennials, the most important thing to them is a living wage. Um, you know, these are things yeah. that are concerns to everyday Americans that need to be addressed and haven't been addressed because we haven't had the money to make our voices loud enough. And that's what's broken about it. Um, so we got to take the money out of the political system, and that's what the Justice Democrat platform is really all about. That's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that that class analysis, right, the understanding of the economics play a key role in our liberation or our oppression, um, for me, is also something that mm-hmm. is missing from a lot of the mainstream sort of democratic platforms, as well as a lot from the LGBTQ community of our issues, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the issues that are most present and pressing for a lot of LGBTQ people? A lot of it's poverty, um, mm-hmm. low-wage jobs, mm-hmm. not being able to afford health care, right? All of these things that you're mentioning. Um, so I think that really that distinguished you really quickly in Arizona in a red state in a really good way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, made you stand out and you played for me, I saw you playing a role similar to what Cynthia Nixon played in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, her, her role was to run and to push the, the, the left more left, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> and, right. and she did that really right. successfully. And I saw you do that here. Um, I think that was a big public service to, to our state and to our community as well. Even pushing the LGBTQ community to have more complex discussions mm-hmm. about what LGBTQ issues are. So I really appreciated that about your running. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> and that, and that was you know, part of the campaign, you know, yeah. is, is highlighting these issues that have been ignored and haven't been addressed in this state. And, you know, we might not have won at the ballot box, but we won with the message. Um, and uh, we really helped elevate other candidates that are running in the state of Arizona to take bold, progressive stances on issues yeah. like a living wage, like mm-hmm. no corporate PAC money. I pushed my primary opponent left. You know, she soon after um, came out and said she's not taking corporate PAC money. Yeah. Um, I take our, our campaign as credit for that. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. we uh, we showed uh, we showed our force there. Yep. Yeah, and I think that, I don't know if we can over 
state the importance of candidates like you pushing your primary candidates who were also Democrats Mm -hmm. more left. That is such a critical role in politics right now that Mm -hmm. I actually think it's almost more important than winning is pushing the whole party, right? And pushing all of the left, no matter what party you're a part of, more left, right? Mm -hmm. And being able to reset that narrative instead of being center-right, you know exactly <laughs> to actually Republican say, light yeah exactly yeah. to actually be on the left of this political discussion and spectrum yeah and I, you know that's uh it's because it, 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 there's really different types of democrats and i think it's become more obvious with yeah. time yeah. Um, now that a lot of people are paying attention you just look at some of the voting habits of some of these mm-hmm. democrats and you really wonder like are you really a democrat yeah you know and what's what's crazy is there's no uh um no no consequences for some of their actions in the way they vote. Um, right. I don't know if you saw the news just a few days ago uh-huh. um, with Tom Perez and uh-huh. Kavanaugh. Uh-huh. Um, he came out and said the Democratic Party is going to be okay. If you vote for Kavanaugh's nomination in the Senate, there's not going to be any repercussions if you're a Democrat. Wow. Now, that's, 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 wow. that's, that's not why we vote for Democrats. We vote for Democrats to push our, our, our message and, and to help, you know, elect you know, it's just, it just doesn't yeah. make sense. Well, and, uh, and to stand up for people. And, like, how can you say the Democratic Party is going to essentially say sexual assault mm-hmm. of women and sexual assault of anyone is not disqualifying for yeah. the Supreme Court? Yeah. Also lying to a Senate Judiciary Committee. Right. Not disqualifying. I like beer. That's crazy. I like beer. Ugh. Hey, did, did you know I like beer? Yeah. yeah. We all know. And also I went to Yale. <laughs> hey, yeah. have you ever blacked out? I play sports. Yeah. Oh I, I was super good at basketball. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he's not a he's not a, a Supreme Court justice. He's mm. definitely not, and uh, I hope that he does not uh, yeah. make it through the process. Uh, yeah, he should not be a judge in any court, in my opinion. He's doesn't have the qualifications or the temperament, quite frankly. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So. You know, I'm I'm kind of interested in you, know, you talked a little bit about the policy structure. Like, how did being trans show up in your narrative around your campaign? Like, it's very unique. Um, very great question. Um, it actually came up quite often. Um, it came up more often in the media yes. rather than the constituents. Uh-huh. Um, my constituents never talked about my transness. The media, um, while I was on the campaign trail. Um, over and over, um, tried to pull, pull into identity politics. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look back at my YouTube channel, you'll see like when Dennis Welsh, for example, on Politics Unplugged, tried to push me into identity politics, and mm-hmm. I said, Dennis, you know, it's it's not about identity politics. I said, well, I'm here on your show basically to talk about policies, yeah. um, and people are paying attention to this campaign because the policies that I'm championing, they're not paying attention because I'm transgender. They're not voting for me because I'm transgender. They're voting for me because they want a living wage. They're voting for me because they want to say no to corporate PAC money. They're voting for me because they want Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not voting for me because I'm trans. And I made sure in my campaign um, to, to to not make my transness a, a focal point. And I, you know, it's I, people who watched the campaign knew that I was trans. Um, you know, I made a presence um, where I stand on LGBT issues um, while on the campaign trail. So it was, it was pretty outward and obvious um, where mm-hmm. I stand on those issues. But I put our policy forward. And I think that's why people took us more serious um, mm-hmm. rather than um, other candidates that might play them se- the self-image. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what we need. We need candidates that lift communities up, lift neighborhoods up. Um, it's, it's larger than me. It's larger than any candidate. Um, we're just the mouthpiece um, of the issues. 
I guess you could say. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and I think that Paul, like being able to discuss policy um, is a critically important thing for a candidate that we're seeing more and more candidates being unwilling to do because they don't want to be locked into a position. But for me, my question is how am I supposed to vote for you? If I don't know where you stand in a policy perspective, like, you know, I want you to be a decent human being. Yes. Right. Like, you know, I want to know that you haven't sexually assaulted people. That's good. Uh, but I also need to know where you stand on key policy issues or mm-hmm. else I can't necessarily know if I want to support you, you know, just because of a letter behind your name. Right. And I think that's what a lot of Democrats have relied on for a long time is just that D, you know, associated with their name and hoping that people will vote for them anyway. Um, but I think those policy positions, you did such a good job of articulating from the LGBTQ specific ones mm-hmm. to the economic, you know, to the sort of wider reaching sort of more universal policies. Well, and this, you know, the important thing when you talk about policies, you got to, I always talked about it as almost like a DNA strand because all these things are interlinked through an mm-hmm. intersectional lens. I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. And there's a cause and effect and why we have, uh, you know, our wage, our wages are depreciating, are, are, are so low. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's multiple lying factors to these issues, and really looking at them from a broader context and stepping back. Um, being that I came from where I came from, uh, growing up in poverty, I kind of have a different outlook because I've seen some of the underlying factors that suppressed my family. For example, you know, I have family family members who can't vote. You know, I grew up on food stamps, and mm-hmm. I knew that we had a problem getting jobs because. One of the people in my family committed a felon, hmm. uh, uh, a felony, and it's difficult for them to get a job. I know housing was difficult for us at times, you know, because yeah. we have a box on housing applications if you're a felon. That yep. could be from 10 years ago, but it could still restrict you, and you can still face housing discrimination. Absolutely. Um, so there's, there's multiple factors to all of these issues that we're faced with in society. So one of the things Michael and I have talked about a lot is this idea that um, that there are trans people in like literally every intersection of life, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, the experience of a white trans person is different than the experience of a black trans person mm-hmm. is different than the experience of a person who doesn't have papers is different than the experience of a person who hasn't gone to college or ha- has a master's degree, like all of those things. And I feel like what you're talking about in your policy is the the like policy platform that acknowledges that reality that mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter if you're a trans person in any of those situations, yeah. or if you're a gay person, or if you're a person of color, or if you're white, like it just doesn't matter that these policy positions are all sort of interlinked mm-hmm. to create change. And if you want to create change for one community, you kind of have to create change for all the communities. Correct. You yeah. don't just, you don't just get Lift to do all that boats. one thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Especially if you want to make, change for people who don't have a lot of access to opportunity mm-hmm. and a lot of social privilege, right? Yep. Um, it's easier to make change for folks that have a lot of privilege already and just have sort of one area of their life where they don't, right? Mm-hmm. Like gay men, gay cisgender white men would mm-hmm. be a good example. Uh, but for the rest of us, we got a little more stacked against us. So we definitely need that broader approach to politics um, that you really represented here in Arizona this primary season. Um, and I, and I, I, uh, uh, I, I hope I help change politics in Arizona for, for the better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I hope that the fact that I went so bold on where I stand on issues is people see that candidates can do that. Exactly. Because you shouldn't be afraid to do that as a candidate. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you when you take these these uh you know, these 
watered down policy stances because um, you think you're going to appeal to a, a broader base. I think that's wrong. Yeah. And I think that's uh, not what we need in politics. And I think that's why we lose because yeah. we don't take bold stances. You saw Bernie Sanders take things that they said were radical, like a living wage, like Medicare for all, um, you know, but now they're, 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 they're common terms. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a litmus test for 2020 mm-hmm. and Donald Trump and the thing about him, he, flat out said where he was standing on issues and they're like whoa you're gonna come out and do that you know like people are ready to actually hear their concerns voiced and they're Mm -hmm. tired of these 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 pussy positions that these candidates and politicians take on issues rather than saying where they stand and it's it's a shame um that politics has been like that for a really long time and it's a shame that we're just realizing that now here in 2018 because if we would have acknowledged this 15 years ago 20 years ago you know i think we wouldn't be where we're at today because like trump is basically a symptom of a bigger problem Mm -hmm. and it's a broken political system and uh we are to blame for what we have right now. I really believe that as a society and it's, it's yeah. tragic, but it's true. Yeah. Well, and uh, speaking to the history piece, the Republicans have been deploying this strategy of sort of bolder conservative ideas mm-hmm. for 40 years, right? That's how we actually got to Trump is that they they've been using the strategy that you use to push Arizona politics to the left, to the right, both in Arizona and nationally, right? And mm-hmm. in individual States all over the country, they've been doing that for a long time. Yep. <laughs> and, and, Democrats didn't, right? And so that's how we got to this center-right place of politics instead of a place that has a conservative side and an actual liberal or progressive side, you know? So the work that you're doing is really critical to me to recentering uh, political thought <laughs> and possibility uh, and imagination for what we can do, you know, in this country. Because we, we really can, you know, we can achieve all these policies that we talk about today yeah. um, if we're willing to fight for them and if we're really to, you know, to, to, to rally behind them and, and stay true to them. Right. Um, you know, it's not impossible. We can have a Medicare for all system. We can have a living wage. We can have college for all. These are things that we can have. Yes. Um, we just have to continue fighting for them. You know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a, it's, it's a long road. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is a, we've got to play long-term, uh-huh. you know, we got to think 10, 15 years here where we want to be in 10 to 15 years because the Republican party did that. Yep. You know, they, yeah. they, they've been waiting and they plotted for this scenario for, yes. for, for years. Exactly. Um, and it's, uh, I'm glad that there's so many people waking up to the realization that we can change this place. Yeah. We can change this country and really make it inclusive of all people. Absolutely. And we can fight for these big ideas like you're talking about mm-hmm. and actually win them, you know, exactly. <laughs> do that work of saying, no, actually living wages, even a basic income, not something that's unimaginable and something that we need to talk about as a human society, right? Because this is where we're going. Mm-hmm. And, that's uh, what we, and that's what we should be looking for. We shouldn't be looking for the right candidate. We, sh- we should be looking for the best ideas. Definitely. Yeah. Could not agree more. Well, I think it's an interesting idea that like when what sort of the response from the Democratic Party has been to play it safe and like just oppose mm-hmm. instead of like what what your campaign did, which is kind of swing for the fences. Yeah. It's like, listen, we're like, we're not in power right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's make them debate us on our issues. Yes. Exactly. Like, let's, yes. let's go bold instead of being like, no, no, don't do this. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. Vote for us. Cause they shouldn't do that. Right. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. But like actually having a conversation about like, what do we, mm-hmm. how do we swing for the fences and how do we make them debate us on those issues? Because then we, mm-hmm. then we actually see a Republican 
candidate saying like, no, no, I don't think everyone should have health care. Yes, right. Like, exactly. That's not a good look, yo. Like people. <laughs> yeah. 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 People don't feel like, oh, yeah, I, right. you're right. I right. shouldn't have health care. Right. Totally. Right. But, I'm poor, so I shouldn't be able to go to the doctor. That resonates with me. Yeah. Like, no. It's, uh, but I think that I mean I think that that's the the right track, and I think mm-hmm. it's that's why it's inspiring to people to say like, oh, yeah, here are here's a candidate who has some kind of wild ideas, mm-hmm. but also that is forcing a conversation that people wouldn't otherwise be having. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, you know the thing is, um, the progressive platform and the um, really resonates in all districts. Like mm-hmm. people like really didn't give me a snowball's chance to get more than five percent of the vote in that U.S. House primary. Um, red, red, red district, uh, primarily white, um, trans, um, very religion is, is pretty key out there. Mm -hmm. Um, people only give me a snowball's chance in hell, but when those results came in and we got, um, over 40% of the vote against an opponent that outspent us 10 to one, she spent $200,000 to defeat me and we ended up achieving over 15,000 votes. Yeah. Um, that's incredible, right? Yeah. And you know, we raised literally and shame on me. Um, that's, it should be embarrassed what we raised, but I can tell you we spent more money on doors. I didn't yeah. spend time fundraising. Yeah. I spent time investing in my community, which mm. I think is the way that you should win campaigns. Yeah. And you saw that with Alex Ocasio and yeah. New York's 14th. Um, but, uh, we, we raised a little over $40,000 just have small dollar donations. And the mm. thing is I didn't hold one fundraising, one, one fundraiser during the whole campaign trail. What I did is I just made sure that I was at Senator Flake's office. I was at Trent Frank's office everywhere where people were. Um, I was there with them and mm. I was listening to them. So I made an impression and people remembered who was there next to them, holding the sign, who was there listening to their concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what showed up at the polls. Mm-hmm. You know, those people showed up because they saw me there with them. That's yeah. what people want. People want people that are actually fighting for them authentically. Yes. Um, you know, when it comes to the policies and when yeah. it comes to actually voicing concerns. Well, and showing yeah. up is like 90% of it, right? Exactly. Like that actually shows that you're invested in the community. You're not just going to go sit in an office somewhere, either here in Arizona or in D.C. Right. And be divorced from the community. And I think it really, for sort of for the person who was pushing these bigger, bold, progressive ideas to be a trans woman, I think made a big difference. Um, I think that that I really believe in leadership from people who have sort of the least right like right people who are most on the margins i think it makes a huge difference to see a trans woman stand up in a red state like arizona and say i can run for office i believe i can win and i can be authentically true to not just who i am but also these really big bold policy ideas that i know will make arizona a better place and i think the fact that you know me being a trans candidate has really helped shine a spotlight on my policies and yep. our campaign more than it would a just a cisgender person that mm-hmm. was running for office in the West Valley. Absolutely. Um, we were able to elevate the conversation uh, yeah, because sure. of uh, my candidacy and who I am as an individual. And that boils back down to my trans, being trans, running for office. It's, uh, it's I acknowledge my, I guess, in this area, I guess you could say it was my privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> sure. Because the media wants that story. They do. Yeah. They definitely want that they story. They want that story and yeah. they want to put you on the front page to be yeah. like, oh my gosh. Identity this, politics. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> but then people are reading your policy things and they're like, oh wait, this is actually like a decent policy structure. Yeah, right. this, this actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah, I get behind this. Yeah. 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 That's and uh, I, pl- I plan to be in Arizona politics for, for some time. Um, you know, this is, I feel like this is where I was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, it feels, uh, it feels right to 
to me. It feels like, uh, you know, this is, I've really found my calling. A lot of people go their entire life not knowing what they should do. I really think I found where I need to be um, to create the most change possible and uh, really take us to where we need to be as a state and as a country. That's awesome. So what is next for you? <laughs> um, next for me, um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. Um, okay. I, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about running for state legislature again because I did run for state legislature, uh, but I'm definitely going to run for Congress again um, and uh, just don't know when. But I know that it's going to be coming soon. Nice. It's definitely the the end goal. Okay. Um, I want to be in Washington D.C. working for the people, and uh, using my voice to create change on a on a national scale. Okay. Excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. And that would be uh, some incredible representation, as we don't have a single trans person in Congress at this point. So we don't. That would be enormous. Yeah, we don't. Um, there's only what eight or nine trans people in office throughout the entire country i believe yeah it's a handful it might be up to 10 to 12 now but with the last cycle but it's not many it's very small and you know it's a reflection too because we have no laws to protect us in many areas of our lives and Mm -hmm. we don't have a seat at the table so you know once we get a seat at the table we can actually have laws in place to protect us from job discrimination Mm -hmm. housing discrimination healthcare discrimination um we can really elevate the the conversation and make sure we get some protections because we need them because we're just as equal as anybody else absolutely um and i look forward to this next session at the state legislature because i now have some friends that are going to be in office um that i plan to to try to push um Mm -hmm. to to get some legislation through um for the state of arizona and i want to make sure that um we address some issues this session and uh, we do a damn good job um using our voice um to show that hell i'm a person too and i need some rights yeah Yeah, for sure absolutely i think the the most recent statistic i read about lgbtq people in public office in the united states is that there is 0.1 percent representation for lgbtq wow. people right 0.1 percent nice. lgbtq people of the total offices uh-huh. in uh-huh. our entire country at every level 0.1 percent are held by lgbtq people you know and it's, it's crazy yeah and it's like i said you you see it in reflection in our laws yeah absolutely. you know i uh, i i often say that i can drive from california to new york and i could drive through states where i don't have any protections for who i am yeah um, with my daughter, you know, it's just unsafe in the United States of America. It's, it's almost, it's pretty radical being a trans person in today's society. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty radical. Yeah. <laughs> and it sucks cause I'm just a regular person. Yeah. yeah. I bleed red blood and I have a heart beating in my chest. Absolutely. I, I sometimes, um, don't realize that sometimes I may be projecting myself as a trans person some of my scenario like some of my uh areas that i'm in um mm-hmm. most recently um i talked about this on my facebook page yeah. and my twitter um i went to a progressive change campaign committee uh, training in april in washington dc um i was went up to i don't know the neighborhood it was more or less the the, the lgbt area um mm-hmm. of washington dc we sat at a bar Mm-hmm. Um, outside, me and my field director, and we decided to just walk down to the Washington Monument. Yeah. And I looked at my phone, and it's like 15 minutes away. So I'm like, oh, it's an easy walk. Yeah. Um, not knowing that that was set on drive, mm. not walk. Oh, oh no. Um, oh. So we just started moseying on down, and uh, we ended up walking into like this housing development area, and like the streets got a little darker, and. Um, I ended up passing a man and um, 
a woman that was sitting on uh, on the curb and their brother i think was at the gas station coming out the door mm-hmm. and uh he was wearing a uh, a seahawks hat mm-hmm. um the, the man on, on, the, on the curb here and uh i uh, had a couple beers i mean yeah. So my voice probably wasn't where it needed to be. Mm. Um, and these are things that trans people have to worry about. And it mm-hmm. sucks. Um, but I saw his hat and I said, go Seahawks. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm from Washington. Like, I like football. I have a Raiders tattoo on my left arm. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we started, we're about a block and a half down the road from these people. And all of a sudden I hear screams out the back. Hey, faggot. Hey, faggot. Hey, faggot. Screaming at me. Wow. And I told Jeffrey, I'm like, dude, that guy's screaming at us right now, and they're coming towards us and yeah. uh, fast. And I'm like, all right. So he goes, no. I'm like, yes, yes. He's like not wanting to acknowledge the situation for what it's what's happening, but I am. Um, and I went into survival mode. I'm like, all right, Jeff. Um, so let's. Uh, we can either make a right, and we can just run for it. Uh-huh. Um, when I say five, we can run. Or we can just continue to walk down this road because it looks like there's a pretty well-lit street up a few blocks. Yeah. Um, and uh, we decided to continue walking to the street. And uh, I found a Starbucks and there was a, a bar on the corner and it was pretty well-lit. It was some circle. I don't know what it's called. There's some circle, something circle or something. Maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, I ended up standing in front of the Starbucks and uh, got on... Uh, my little ride app and I, what's the, what's the lift? Yeah. I got on the lift and, and called the cab mm-hmm. and, uh, my daughter called just, just randomly. Um, and she was asking, I forgot what she was asking, but she called and, uh, I jumped on the phone with her. And I think this was maybe like, I'm not a believer. I'm not a big believer in religions in general, mm-hmm. but I think this was my uh, like energy, mm-hmm. you know, my fear that I have maybe projecting into the universe. And my daughter felt it and decided to call me. Mm-hmm. Um, she called me and uh, we're on the phone and he comes up to me. The gentleman that was chasing us called me a faggot. And he goes, Hey, Hey faggot. Did you say, did you say, Hey, sweetheart to my brother? And I'm like, no, no. I said, go Seahawks. And I'm like, Madison, I have to go. Um, and I hung up the yeah. phone and uh, he goes, this is stupid. This is stupid. And he runs back to his, uh, his uh his brother and the girl that they were with and that was the end of it uh but at that moment i realized a lot of things i i was if i hadn't done my daughter's call i feel like i maybe would have reacted different because she kind of kept me calm Uh. and centered um i immediately thought to myself had i been a black woman had i been a hispanic woman Mm -hmm. i probably would have been stabbed and i probably maybe would have died right there yeah. Um, once again, I acknowledged my white privilege as a white trans woman uh, mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. you know black trans women in the in the in the struggles that they face, yeah. um, and the how the statistics are, are more stacked against them. And I uh, just immediately got on my phone and just started writing down everything in my notepad so I could go back to it because um, I wanted to remember this moment and I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that I talk about this moment. Um, when I can to amplify it using my voice and platform so other people can hear it um, yeah. to know that everybody uh, doesn't matter you know what you look like you're going to be faced with you know these issues in the trans community yeah absolutely sure. um sorry that was a little long-winded no that was an incredible story and I'm so sorry that that happened to you that's you know that's a terrifying moment and feeling um did you feel that when you were running for office 
did you get the kind of support that you wanted from the trans community? Because you did a lot of this work where you were mm-hmm. amplifying not just your experience, but also then talking about your privilege as a white trans person mm-hmm. and lifting up the experiences of trans people of color, of undocumented trans folks. Um, you were just, you you know, you presented a very full and also complex, you know, narrative of the trans community that a lot of people don't do. And so um, did you feel sort of supported by our community here. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hell, the first night I met you, Michael, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, at that uh, transgender awareness night, yeah, you know, we had great. what we had hundred over 150 people there uh, for so that panel people. of education. It was beautiful. Yeah. I uh, was shocked. I was I had never been in a panel, a trans panel that had that many people. Right? It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, and I, uh, I, I got lots of help from uh, the LGBT community here in yeah. Arizona and nationally. Yeah. You know, on Twitter and our social media platforms, there was a lot of people that were helping out, amplifying our message. I had people phone banking throughout the country that identified as trans or LGBT. Um, you know, awesome. it's uh, it was it was it was it was really cool. And uh, you know, they're still out there following me, which is great because we're not done. We got a lot more work to do. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I. I um... I also wonder, so Michael and I have talked a lot about this idea about like, you know, would we, you know, (laughs) would we run for office and what would that look like as trans people? And like, so if you, if you had any words of advice or words of wisdom for trans folks around like running for office or what to do, like, do you, do you have any of that? (laughs) My, I I am an all in girl. (laughs) When I, when I set my mind on something, if I'm thinking about it, I'm generally going to do it. Um, you know, whether it's running like seven miles and want to be able to do that or run for office, I just kind of jump into tasks, not knowing how hard the obstacle might be. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I find myself over my head in some situations Mm -hmm. and I just kind of adapt. But if you're thinking about running for office, I'd say, uh, you know, volunteer for a campaign, see Mm -hmm. if it's for you know that if you do run for office, you're going to be looked under a microscope and Mm -hmm. your entire life is going to be out there and you might face criticism for who you are. Um, so be ready to, you know, face, you know, criticism daily and be ready to have your, your life analyzed because it will be. And I, I knew that right from the get go. And I knew that if somebody looked into my life, I just kind of put all my shit out there right off the bat. I said, I grew up in poverty. My family was plagued with drugs. I had a grandfather who's an alcoholic. So there was nothing out there. So I don't care how you attack me because I've already done said it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that comes back to running authentic. But if you're mm-hmm. if you're thinking about running, you know, really volunteer for a campaign and or just jump in, you know, run for a school board, run for state legislature, run for Congress, um, you know, go where you feel that you feel like your voice is going to be most impactful. That's awesome. Yeah. It's it seems apropos that you are currently wearing a t-shirt that says she believed she could so she did. Yes. It sounds, it sounds like that's really on brand for you. That's really like your it's your style. Um, the problem with an audio format is that people cannot see that you're wearing a shirt that is very on brand. Yes. Yeah, and I'm a, um, I'm a I'm a firm believer. You know, if you're going to say you do it, do it. Go. And I um, yeah. I'm teaching my daughter that too and uh, um, I hope that, you know, she can look back and when she's an adult and she can say, you know, my father um, fought for me, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't have a dad growing up. So, like, yeah. I hope that she can see that I was out there for her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I think it matters for 
everyone from young people like your daughter Mm -hmm. to folks in the LGBTQ community, um, just living our lives to see trans folks running for office and just jumping in like you did and being like, yep, this is who I am. I'm going to tell you right now and you can't use it against me because this is my story. You don't get to own it. Exactly. And you know, and the thing about running as a trans person, it's incredibly important to be visible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because the more visibility, the more we normalize ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the more we make ourselves relatable to our neighbors, yeah, and that's how we break the stigma, um, and that's how we really change the conversation by being out and visible. I know it can be tough and it can be awful. Oftentimes, it can be very, very scary uh-huh. um, to live openly, depending on where you're at. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, I know Arizona is a tough one. Yeah. It can certainly be, some, yeah. Definitely some right-wing radicals out here. Well, especially out in that area. Like, it's not like you are running in central Phoenix where it's right. what we might term the gayborhood. Like, right. it's... It's a it's a it's a rough rough spot out oh, there. Oh yeah, that that, yeah. that that's conservative land. It's the second reddest district in the in the state next to Gozars. Wow. Um okay. there the the numbers were incredibly large for Republicans wow. out there and the, and just uh yeah, it was it's it's very red. <laughs> yeah. But I think it, I mean that speaks even more to the fact that you were able to really to get a significant number of votes mm-hmm. in a very red place with people saying no, actually, that does. Like, what she's talking about totally resonates with me, and I want that for my family, even though I live in, you know, the right. second reddest district in Arizona. Right. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, the thing is, too, like, um, it wouldn't be that red if the Democratic Party mm-hmm. would have ran candidates the last two election cycles. And if we would have actively been working in that in that district, we wouldn't face these uphill battles. We wouldn't have these, these districts that are overwhelmingly Republican. We wouldn't be facing yeah. a lot of the battles that we face in some of these districts they now say are unwinnable mm-hmm. if we would have worked in them. You know, mm-hmm. I understand mm-hmm. that it takes money to run in those districts, but you can still put up a candidate. Yeah. You can still do other things that aren't doesn't involve money you can put out emails you could do you there's other things you could do rather than just money and everybody comes back down to the well you can't throw money in every district well you don't have to throw money in every district but you can put a body there yep you can make somebody use their voice if someone wants to run you're going to support them yeah and you can knock doors exactly you you know you can go to events in the district you can do all those things that you did that from a grassroots perspective shift the actual political landscape um and shift it back to a place where progressive politics are possible 100 percent. and the thing yeah. is too we're bringing people you know and, and the important thing is too we gonna we need to stop making ourselves palatable for the republican party yep we need to be worrying about the people that aren't showing up because uh-huh. there's a larger number of those people and those people aren't showing up typically because they don't have a candidate that inspires them mm-hmm. so when you run candidates in those kind of areas you inspire the people that are sitting home and you bring people out that maybe have never been out before yep. and i saw that on my social media I had a lot of people send me pictures of my ballot their ballots uh-huh. you're the first person i've ever voted for wow. thank you for giving me an option to vote for because i've never had a candidate that ran on your issues ever wow. in the west valley you know like you know that's because we ran, you know, yeah. and it's, it, there's, there's people yeah. there that want to vote and yeah. you, you got to give them something to vote for. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that to both your point and Sam's point earlier, we have to give people something to vote for, not just something to vote against. Uh, if we want to truly create a country that has the kind of political balance we need to be a healthy democracy right? <laughs> you know, and the kind of programs and government that we need to support all, all people here in this country. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, 
our 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 government right now and our democracy is not a democracy yeah you know it's we're it's it's extremely dangerous what we have right now we have a minority controlling the majority mm-hmm. we have donald trump who won the presidency across over seventy-eight thousand votes across three states is what got him the presidency um we have a congress that mm-hmm. um is actively writing laws and pushing legislation that the general public and the masses don't want like mm-hmm. it's it's extremely dangerous and we have a supreme court that possibly could shift right mm-hmm. and uh that's one of the most um tragic things about all of this is all the court appointing appointees oh, yes and uh and the republican party knows and that's oh, why yeah. they're going all in on this shit they don't give yeah. a shit and that's why lindsey graham went off the other day because yep. he doesn't care yep. they don't care if they get reelected because there's a bigger aspect here they can get a judge on the supreme court that's going to be in there for two lifetimes so they can keep yep. their agenda alive a lot longer mm-hmm. than just this cycle and that's what they're lo- they look long term yeah. while we look for the win right now yeah they also do the big the big picture things right mm-hmm. and the and the being full on for their issues you know that's part of why Lindsey Graham feels comfortable doing that too because he knows his constituents think that's a positive thing mm-hmm. his rant right at the in the judiciary committee so they're going to vote for him more because mm-hmm. of that exactly exactly and uh you know we now have progressive candidates and progressive politicians that are now outwardly speaking like alex ocasio mm-hmm. uh, my sister she'll go out and she'll just flat out say things too and that's great we need people that are doing that stuff yes. holding back you yep. know calls call spades spades yeah. you know it's yes. uh, the time for pussyfooting around it's gone yeah you know we have people dying on our streets absolutely we have <laughs> over 40 million americans living below the poverty line and we have homeless rates that are staggering we yeah. have a rental crisis that is through the roof yep. there's all these underlying factors that are are being ignored yeah. you know yeah. by the media and that's i'm i'm, I'm a big I, i'm not a big fan of the media the the, the media yeah and well it, the media is owned by the corporations who are part of the second gilded age right right so that's why they're not talking about it oh yeah and <laughs> yeah. just like we're not seeing much of syria on the news either yeah. It's yep. it's crazy, yeah. Syria and Yemen and yeah, pretty much any outside perspective right? yeah. or anything yeah. that's really happening in the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, if you want to, uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, where can people follow you so they see what happens next? Yes. That's probably an important thing you mentioned Twitter and Facebook. So, yep. uh, tell the people where to find you. Well, uh, my Twitter is most active. Uh, my Twitter handle is B Westbrook, and that's W E S T B R O O K. Okay. A Z eight. Okay. And my Facebook page is facebook.com backslash Westbrook for America. All spelled out. Okay. Awesome. Um, I'm keeping both of those channels up. Um, you know, I, I thought about maybe I should take these channels down. Yeah. I'm like hell no! I'm not going to take these channels down. We're going <laughs> to we're going to keep the conversation going. There you go. Um, because this is a revolution and it has yeah. to continue. Um, okay. So you know, follow along on both those channels. My YouTube channel um, is linked on the Facebook page as well, and I got videos on there when they come through as well. Okay, Great. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and any just last thoughts you want to leave with folks as we're wrapping up? Um, final thoughts. I would just say be true to who you are. Um, live authentically and don't be afraid. Live bold and proud. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking your time and coming in and chatting with us. Um, We really hope folks uh, learned something and got something out of this episode. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. You bet. Thank you. (laughs) 
We include an ally moment in every episode because we know that there are lots of you listening who aren't trans, uh, but you're listening because there's probably someone in your life that you really care about that is trans or you want to be a good ally to the trans community. So these moments are for you and they're all about how uh, you can best support the trans friends and loved ones in your life. Today's ally moment is about voting in November. Now, Sam and I are clearly outspoken advocates for active engagement in the civic process, and that includes voting. We wanted to use this ally moment to raise that bar a little higher. We believe that to be a trans ally in the voting booth, you have to vote for candidates who are at a minimum also allies to the trans community, and when possible, it means voting for trans folks. Voting is a privilege as much as it is a responsibility, and being an ally means at its core to be accountable for your privilege. Your vote is never neutral, and that's especially true when it comes to marginalized people. If you believe that trans folks are deserving of human dignity, then a critical way for you to be an ally is to stop voting for people who don't believe in our human dignity and instead to vote for people who are also allies and who will promise to work for our full enfranchisement and for our human dignity. If you're not sure how to tell which candidates are trans-inclusive, we have some easy ways for you to find out. Check out candidate surveys and endorsements of organizations like Equality Arizona and the other member organizations of the Equality Federation, just in case you don't live in Arizona and need to find out which candidates uh, are trans or trans supportive in your state. Um, Also check out the Human Rights Campaign. They do a a, a great job at endorsing uh, candidates all over the country. You can also support trans candidates even in places where you can't vote for a trans person. You can make a donation to any candidate you would like to support anywhere in the country. To find out more about trans and LGBTQ candidates, uh, we recommend that you check out the Victory Fund for their slate of candidates. Being an ally isn't just a way of thinking or seeing the world. At its best, being an ally means taking action to improve the lives of the people you ally with. Voting is one easy and powerful way for you to be a trans ally this November. It's time for closing credits. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Michael Soto. And me, Sam Garman. Thank you for listening. Uh, Make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Our music is by Skylar Kurgle. Check him out at SkylarKurgle.com, where you can see what he's up to and link to all his social. We want to hear from you. You can connect with us on TransformPod.com or on Facebook at TransformPod. We appreciate your questions and feedback. Email us at transformpod at gmail.com. We really encourage your thoughtful and positive feedback. If you disagree with us, that's fine, but we will not engage in any name-calling or dehumanizing talk, so please just don't do it. Thanks for going beyond the transition with us. Please tell me a story.